Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host as always, and welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a change that's taking place in the 2020 National Electrical Code. I probably have talked about this topic before. The only problem is I didn't talk about some of the details of the products, so I figured we'd go over that uh, today in this podcast. So if you're an apprentice, journeyman, and uh, you're, you're familiar with these products that I'm going to talk about, uh, you're going to have to get more intimately familiar with them as we move forward into the 2020 National Electrical Code because the, the requirement and the expanded use of these products has rapidly been changing in the National Electrical Code over the last two cycles. And so it expands even more. But we're going to talk about a specific application today, and we're going to talk services in, in Article 230. And if you haven't guessed it by now, we're going to talk about the new requirement in 230.67 surge protection that's going to now be required, okay, on all services that are supplying dwelling units, okay? So, again, uh, only a dwelling unit application, but we're going to talk about it. So, if you have your electronic version, you can go online. If you have TerraView, you can look at and see the change. You can see the public comments. You can see the, uh, uh, the second revision and everything that took place. Uh, I will say that the comments from the co-making panels, and I serve on two, uh, aren't as detailed as they used to be. Uh, used to be you can get a lot of information from uh, some of the, the past reports on proposals and things like that. It, again, it's a bit watered down now, the way everything's pulled together, and you have a response that covers a bunch of different actions, and it just doesn't seem the same. Maybe it is. I'm just I'm old school, I guess. So when as we write books or write products or change documents used to be we could pull the information from what the panel was thinking uh, and doing it that way it's, it's a little harder I find it a little harder today we still pull it but it just it's a little harder that's why it's so important to actually attend these events if you're a person that writes books or documents or things like that on changes or understanding the NEC that that you participate in it now the downside is when I'm there I'm on two committees so I would love back in the day when I was with NEMA I could go and I could just jump around from panel to panel and just really engulf all the information and, 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 and really get a better understanding of where the panel was heading or the substantiations for things that they did. It's a little harder now because I serve on five as a principal and alternate on 17. You know, you're so focused on those panels that you don't get to just move around. So I'm envious of my old buddies there that work for NEMA, the, the reps who can actually jump around. And, and if you're a code junkie, that's the thing to be. Um, now, some people say, I can't go to these things. I work for a living. You know what? If you're in this industry and you're writing things for code, this is your work. And that's why we go. So there's a lot of people that make snarky remarks. They're electricians. But I'm like, you know, you go pull your wire. You go cut your box in. Uh, us code guys and gals have to go and do these things. This is what we do. This is our job. So at any rate, um, I get those from time to time, uh, both which are important. But again, we have to do the things we have to do to help understand and and, and move the code forward uh, for the better good. Um, so today we're going to talk about the addition of expansion, I guess, of surge protecting devices. Now I'm going to kind of read you the layout of 230.67. And of course, then what we'll do is we'll talk about the different SPDs or surge protective devices. So the change that took place, and there were two public comments, I guess it started all the way back to the public input, uh, but it's been altered a little bit uh, for the public comment, and then what's finally been published in the second draft, which didn't come up during NITMAMs or the CAMs, so it's probably, it is going to be generally what's in print here. I don't see anything that, that that's going to block that effort. Uh, 230.67, surge protection, A, it says surge protective device, it says all services supplying dwelling units shall be provided with a surge protector device, an SPD. Now, I know the manufacturers of these devices love it when the code requires something. Uh, this is what caused uproars back with AFCIs and things like that. They're like, it should be an option. Uh, but um, 
you know, when you get something in the code and it mandates it, the manufacturers love it. Uh, because it's something that requires it to be put in. That means they're going to have guaranteed sales, right? It's no longer an option. You're going to have to buy it, okay? Um, So A is going to require for all services supplying dwelling units, all right? Uh, now, I get this question a lot. They say, what about a multifamily building and you've got the, the feed that's going out to the individual dwelling units? Uh, that's not the service. That's a feeder, okay? So, you know, big difference in how, you, how you're trying to apply this here, okay? Uh, we're talking about services supplying dwelling units. Now, location. Where is this to be placed? It says, the SPD shall be integral part of the service equipment... So manufacturers that create panels can produce it as an integral part. I know that Cutler Hammer back years ago when I helped start their ECCN program, Eaton Certified Contractor Network, and I did all their training. And I used to uh, travel the country with a guy named Mr. Uh, Andrew Smolsky, great guy, and started that with Eaton. Um, we were kind of pushing the um, surge protective devices um, that go inside of the panel or the, I guess you can, they're outside as well but they had panels that were designed with a space so that you didn't have to sell it with the surge protective device in it you could add it later uh, it just created a space for it and they were evaluated for that and for that device to go into this equipment and all that was evaluated um, that's kind of and there's some that actually will integrate it into the equipment and things like that uh, but it also says or okay or po- very big terms in the national Electric code the term and and or or being this or that and being this and that when it comes to a code reference uh, the or says shall be located immediately adjacent there too so again right outside of it again we can argue what immediately adjacent means but I think it's right next to it and then we'll let the uh, the uh, distance, uh, argument or whatever of immediately adjacent. We'll leave that to the AHJs to make that decision. That's the, the 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 good thing about the code is we do leave that up to the jurisdiction. Hopefully they rule on things with intelligent decisions and common sense. Uh, but that's what you've got. Now there's an exception to this location rule. It says exception: the SPD shall not be required to be located in the service equipment as required in B if located at each at if located at each next level division equipment downstream towards the load. So this is a, allowing you to say, look, it doesn't have to be located in the service equipment uh, as required in B. If it is located downstream, let's say at a, at a remote distribution panel and you put it in there uh, as you're going down towards the loads. Um, so you've got an exception in there for locations. So again, it's at the service, but here it's going to allow in this application, one, the general rule is to be located in service equipment or immediately adjacent. Ah, but I got an exception that says, you know what, you're not required to locate it in the service equipment uh, as required in B, uh, if located in the next level, that'd be a remote distribution panel, uh, downstream towards the load. Okay, and I guess this would come into a fact where you had an application where you're trying to move uh, the service in 230.70A1 further in, and you're going and you're and you're moving something down a little bit. Uh, then it's going to allow you at that service disconnect to not have to place it there. You can move it down to the uh, remote disconnect uh, where all of your loads are going to be coming in, and that's your for all intents and purposes that's just your sub panel, or we refer to as remote distribution panel. But it's the next level distribution equipment in the in the scheme of service to feeder to remote panel. Uh, the next thing it talks about when we're trying to talk about what type of devices, surge protective devices, and we're going to go in those in a little detail. But it's going to give you the type that it's calling for at this locations because there's a number of types. Um, here we're looking at the type that's required to meet this rule. And it is a, it says the SPD shall be a type 1 or type 2 SPD. Okay. All right. And we'll look at each of those in a second, each of the different types in more detail. But I want to go on and finish this out so that I can get to the different types. And then, of course, you have D, which is a replacement. And again, people say the National Electrical Code is not retroactive, but Every now and then, whether it's replacing a, you know, a receptacle or, or extending a circuit, you'll have some retroactive type components 
componentry in it. And so, again, the NEC is not a design standard. Okay, It's not what it's there for. It's a minimum safety standard. But you do slowly get these things that are coming in. And here's one. It says replacement. When the service equipment is replaced, all the requirements of the section shall apply. So that, in a sense, is when I'm getting service. Now, jurisdictions, like when I was in the city of Richmond and I was overseeing the electrical department, what we would have was the Virginia, for example, have what's like a like-for-like like statute, if you will, in the Virginia Construction Code. So if it was a 100-amp circuit breaker, or excuse me, a 100-amp fuse, and you're replacing it with a 100-amp circuit breaker, it was a like-for-like like application. Um, you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to bring anything up to code other than the general what was there before. Uh, if there was any deviation in that, then you had to bring it up everything up to code when it came to as far as that service. So we had a like-for-like like provision. In this rule here, it looks like it's stating unless your jurisdiction adopts something differently, and they obviously have the right to do that. Here it's saying, look, if you replace that service, uh, upgrades, for example, um, then you're going to have to bring this requirement in and get a load center or immediately adjacent install a surge protected device. Now, there's a lot of companies that have been making good money installing these surge protected devices. Now, I will tell you that surge protective devices do work. They have an intended function uh, and uh, they will protect downstream equipment. Now, you have a lot of things that can create surges internally into the dwelling as well as externally. And it really wasn't thought as a big deal, but you do have some things that can cause spikes that can be, as we have this more sensitive electronic equipment, can cause a problem. Okay, I installed one on mine. I, actually, my house here in Texas obviously didn't have an SPD, a surge protective device. Um, and you know, and to be honest with you, I thought that in this code rule where they actually removed surge protective device as they went through the code development process and put SPD in there, that they should have left surge protective device and put the SPD in brackets or quotes or something or vice versa. Um, I thought people are going to look at what the heck is SPD? Um, and it just served better to have what it actually is written in there. But again, it's code panel took care of this. That was, that was in their purview and they made the decision. Um, so I ended up installing it on my house because we do have a lot of spikes uh, where we're at in the power scheme or the power grid. Plus, we have a lot of lightnings and things like that. Uh, and I have a lot of sensitive electronic equipment. Everything today from the refrigerators to the dryers, washing machines, all are, are connected to the web. And I have a lot of things that on my Wi-Fi network and everything. So even I have a, a little higher maybe knowledge of some of the things that really are a problem and really is just kind of bogus. I felt the need to install the SPD. And, uh, and so I installed it. Um, and I won't tell you which brand I used. Uh, but I've already talked about them today in this podcast anyway. So that's the one that I installed, but there are plenty of them out there. All right, so the type has to be a type 1 or type 2. What are they? What are we talking about? Well, let's look at the different types we have. So generally, there's four types of surge protection uh, that we have. Uh, and incidentally, if you're not aware of what we have, they're listed in the definitions in, in Article 100. So you'll have a Type 1, Type 2, Type 3, Type 4. Okay, So they are listed there in case there's any confusion on the four types that we're talking about. But remember, this code rule for services, or as you see in the exception, allow it immediately downstream at the next level of distribution, a remote distribution panel, if you will. Uh, and that's the example we're going to use. Um, you're going to have to use a Type 1 or Type 2. So the difference in these two types of, of surge protectors. That's what we're going to focus on today. And again, we'll cover the other, but we're really focused in this rule, type 1 and type 2. Now, electricians around there are installing these. Um, again, uh, there's great money in it, but they this is one thing where they actually do bring purpose. Uh, especially if you're in an area like Florida, you're in an area of Texas, where it gets a lot of storms, a lot of lightning. Uh, things like that, and uh, or you're on a grid that's not so modern and you've worried about spikes and surges or where you're at on the system. Uh, this is just good insurance, and it's not overly expensive, and they're really not hard to install. And in some cases, um, the manufacturers even make this, the plug-and-play ones now that will plug right into the panel board uh, inside the uh, closure, uh, and it really makes it easy. 
uh, and some of them are remote or exterior and things like that. But there's a different, uh, there's a multitude of manufacturers that make these. Okay, so we'll kind of look at those and some of the things to think about when you're when you're picking these type of devices. All right, the very first one we're going to look at is a Type One surge protector. Uh, these are sometimes called surge arresters. Uh, we refer to them as a secondary surge arrestor. Um, they're Type One. They are typically mounted on the line side of a main service uh, entrance. You know, typically between the utility and where your service panel is, somewhere in that equation between there. Um, so these Type One surge protectors, they're really focused on protecting against external power surges. Uh, that are caused by things like lightning or when you have utilities switching from capacitor banks uh, or you have a degraded utility line and there's a potential for surges or or, or rolling browns or what you have. These typically can be an assistance in that uh, and that's where they're typically located and that's where you would install them. So they're usually on the line side uh, all the way up to the utility. Now, the utility company is generally not going to provide them, so they typically would be done at the weather head or somewhere exterior. I've seen them in jurisdictions where, believe it or not, they're actually installed on the meter, and it's an extra purchase that you can do from the utility company, and they'll put either an inline or it's designed to go with the meter. Uh, but that is typically what you get in a Type 1. And, of course, this rule is going to permit those, Okay. Um, and so if you read the National Electrical Code, uh, and in this case, I am going to refer to the language in the 2017 because that's what I have with me. Uh, and I don't know that that actually changed in the 2020. But what it says is a Type 1 is a permanently connected SPD intended for installation between the secondary of the service transformer. Uh, makes sense. And the line side of a service six neck overcurrent device. So anywhere in that equation, that's where you install a type one surge protector. Okay. Now, caution. When you're installing these, remember you're on the line side. And so if you're on the line side, you're not going to have any ground fault or short circuit protection. You're really not going to be able to cut that power off. So this is kind of maybe a new installation. Electricians be very careful if you're doing anything with a type one on the line side. All right. Um, the only thing you're going to get on it is overload protection, and that's inherent into the service disconnect or the service overcurrent device. Okay, But you're not going to get any short-circuit ground fault protection. Again, this is a line-side installation. Uh, electricians cautious on that because there is nothing that can kill that power if this is a retro or something you're doing later. Uh, if you do it while the power's off and you know at the pole and maybe an uh, upgrade and everything's been shut down, okay. All right? Now... The next, oh, I should go on to also to say this is really a first line defense is what we're talking about. And it's the first line of defense for the home or wherever you're using it. Maybe it's some facility. There's a large large facilities commercially that also use the type 1 surge protectors in this application. It's, it's the first line of defense. It's like that first gate or that hurdle that a surge uh, or something in a capacitor switching bank that causes a spike or what have you to get in and, and affect sensitive electronic equipment, okay? Uh, that's the first level of them. They are, they are rated, again, for outdoor use. Uh, and even in some cases, they even have alarms on them to let you know if something's gone wrong or if it reached their lifespan or something needs to be fixed on it or whatever. They have an, al- an alarm. Not all of them, but there's some out there that probably have that feature built into them, okay? So that's your Type 1 line side. Now, Type 2 surge protectors. This is probably what I see the most, all right, the most option. Again, you got two options here for the services. All right, type two surge protector, they're also known as service or branch surge protectors, all right? They're installed on the load side of your main service entrance and are used to protect the electrical service entrance or the branch circuits against residential lightning strike energy uh, or motor-driven surges or other internally generated surges, okay? So you have two different things here. You kind of get the best of both worlds with the Type 2, and it's easier for the electrician to install the Type 2 because it's going to go after the main. So you're going to shut the power off, and you're going to install this, and you safely can install it, all right? The main purpose with the Type 2. Now, can you have a Type 1 and Type 2? Absolutely, absolutely. If you can keep it from coming in, it's always a great thing, right? Keep it outside where it needs to be. 
But if you have internal applications or things that could cause surge issues, then what you've got here is a type two. So I'm a believer in layers of protection, not because it drives up cost. I'm just a believer in layers of protection. You know, the largest investment you'll ever make is your home. The other largest investment you'll make, other than your vehicle, is the appliances that go in your home. And I can tell you, many people know that I, as many things as I do, I still also own an electrical contracting business, Abernathy Electrical Services. Uh, and I get, and I do very little work. Usually it's troubleshooting or problematic installs or things that other electricians have given up on and they'll call me and say, Paul, can you help out? Um, and small things. Um, and I do a lot of inspections for uh, faulty wiring and faulty things that have been done, even in new construction out in the counties where licensing is not required in Texas. Um, but one thing that I get a lot of calls from people is that lightning is take out half of their, their circuits or, or, or electronics aren't working anymore and it was right after a storm. And there's a great chance that that could have been prevented okay, if you had surge protection. So I'm a believer in it. But in these Type 2s, uh, they stop. You have internal motor-driven surges that sometimes can cause an issue onto the other electronic components that are in the, in the house. And they're internally generated. Okay, So these Type 2s' main purpose is to protect sensitive electronics and the microprocessor-based loads uh, by limiting the level of transient voltages that can be imposed on them, which can cause problems with their real volatile uh, uh, circuit boards and all of the real volatile components that are on. They're not as robust as things used to be now that we get real finute in what we're doing in these, these electronic equipments and the things that they can do. The last thing you want is to have any transients that can actually be imposed onto the systems. Okay. So typically the type two um, surge protectors uh, are used inside of the residential panel boards. Uh, or immediately adjacent as well. Uh, and they are widely used in residential applications. In fact, that would be an example of what I installed in mine was a Type 2. Uh, but they also find great use in commercial and industrial, especially in commercial industrial where you have some large motor-driven surges that could be kicked back into the system, causing transients that could play havoc on other systems. So it doesn't hurt to have... Uh, type 2 surge protector installed in this system uh, and with these you can pretty much install them anywhere okay in the services down branch panels wherever you want to install them uh, it's fine just remember when we're dealing with services we're using type 1 type 2 and it is either in the service or immediately adjacent or at the next level down to the remote distribution panel you could install it there okay it limits it that application when it comes to services, which is allowing you to do it this way. Okay. All right. So the next ones that we have are a type three. Now type three, we refer to as the power strips. Uh, so they have surge protection, some of them, not the ones that you buy at the checkout of, of a Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that. Those are just relocatable power taps. That's not really surge protector that's built into it. You're going to pay a pretty good amount for an actual surge protective type three device, okay? This power strips. Uh, it's, uh, it's designed to block those lower level surges that are damaging to sensitive electronic equipment directly at the equipment, like TVs, computers, household appliances. Again, another good level if you're really worried about it. It's a small investment when you think about the electronics. You know, we put thousands of dollars into our TVs, uh, thousands of dollars into our computers, um, and we really don't think about what could happen if surges. Now, we go through our whole life and we might not have an issue and we say, Paul, I've never done it. I'm never worried about it. You're just over worried about it. All right. Well, there's some people that will sit there and tell you absolutely a big deal and that they've run into this. And the neat thing about some of these surge protective uh, devices here at the power strip level, type three, is they even come with a real extensive warranty if you register everything right and document everything that if it does get through it, and it burns up the equipment, that it has an insurance policy kind of a part of that. Now, some of the Type 2s also have that. So they're they're that assured that they're going to protect. They did enough testing that they're assured. Now, does that mean that a massive direct head-on strike or some kind of onslaught assault 
of transients or lightning or whatever uh, might hurdle over this surge protected device and still cause a problem with something it is always a possibility but we're mitigating that by using these surge protected devices now if you are going to tier them like maybe you have a type 2 in your panel and you have a type 3 at your uh, electronic equipment that you're really worried about then you're going to have that added benefit okay now for me i have a type 2 at the panel call me call me paranoid that's fine i do this for a living I got one there, but at my electronics where I have my computer, my printers, uh, my modems, uh, all of that type of stuff, my ring my ring system for my cameras and security, all of that is plugged into a surge protected device. It's a Type 3. Okay, So I have this dual level of protection. And for what it costs, a peace of mind in the insurance that's rider that comes with it, I'm okay. And I have no problem filing a claim. Trust me. Now... Type 3 protectors are available in 15 or 20 amp. Uh, they're typically going to be at 120 volt applications, where the others, Type 2, again, 240. Uh, there makes some that would be, obviously, other application of voltage classes or voltage ratings. Uh, but these Type 3s are typically uh, 120 volt, uh, and they're um, basically in a receptacle type of format, like a power strip or relocatable power tap, uh, but they have the built-in uh, protection that's in those. Um, now, you'll find a surge strips probably in every home in this country, okay? But not all of them are going to be what we call point-of-use protection, and they're going to be a type 3 surge protector, okay? So, if you're buying them, spend a little more and buy you a Type 3 surge protector. Now, if you still want to use that relocatable power tap, you can buy a Type 3 that plugs directly into the receptacle on the wall, and then you can feed your relocatable power tap out of that. Perfectly fine. Um, but that doesn't mean that relocatable power tap with just a simple recess button on there, a reset button, is actually a surge protector. Okay? All right. The next and last one we'll talk about is a Type 4. Type 4... Uh, sometimes known as surge protective modules. Okay? Now, they offer a different kind of point of view surge protection than the Type 3. Okay? A little different in how the Type 4 will function. All right, so Type 4, you find a lot. Now, again, we talk of point of use. Uh, and they differ from the Type 3 because these protect things like industrial applications, uh, factory automated servo motors, drives, PLCs, kind of in a componentary location. And of course, in the National Electrical Code, it talks about that. It says Type 4 is a component SPD, all right? And it's part of probably like a, a rail assembly or, or part of something. Now, you can get them in a standard wall mount or you can get them in a DIN rail mounted configuration that's going to go with things like motors, PLCs, inline protection for those really sensitive things, okay? So you can get those. Uh, they are available, again, for, for use in componentry, in industrial and commercial equipment cabinets uh, as part of the equipment. Uh, not something you're typically going to see in a residential. You're not going to get much use in a Type 4 out of that application. Typically, residential, you're going to be Type 1, Type 2, Type 3. Uh, for the service, obviously, Type 1, Type 2. Uh, for that extra level of protection, Type 3. If you're an industrial application and you've got a, uh, or even a commercial application where you've got a lot of automation, servos, PLCs, um, drives, things like that that have volatile memory, volatile componentry, um, then you're going to get these these inline uh, type of devices uh, and they're called type 4 uh, and they're available for that application. Okay, So you have the different types, type 1, type 2, type 3, type 4. Uh, they're all available for you. And so uh, I guess the next thing we should go into is talk about uh, how to pick or how to purchase the right SPD for, for your need. But I guess I would be remiss if I didn't say there was a Type 5 SPD, uh, but it is really having to do with things like MOV, metal oxide varistors, and they're actually mounted on wiring boards and things like that. So that's the Type 5. Not something that we're going to cover because that's not what we're going to deal with when we're dealing with electrical. This is componentry that is built into printed wiring boards and things like that, and they're mounted on there and things like that. It's, again, not really the scope of what we're talking about, okay? Just not, but, you know, just kind of 
an understanding of, of those um, how we are now SPDs uh, typically they have a listing um, and they're going to be listed to ANSI UL fourteen forty nine and so all of them been evaluated so obviously when you're deter- you're picking an SPD you want to make sure that it is UL listed and all that means is that some other third party evaluated it met all the requirements of UL 1449 which again is an ANSI UL joint standard um, and has absolutely nothing to do with the third party who evaluates it it just if if manufacturer A builds a surge protective device and they meet all the requirements of ANSI UL 1449 then they submit it to a third party who is a, who is authorized by OSHA, and who actually will do evaluations on the the um, accuracy of construction of a ANSI UL fourteen forty nine product, then they will evaluate it, and then they will put that mark on it, whether it's UL, whether it's ETL uh, from Intertech or at three uh, uh, CSA or whoever it is that's a third party nationally recognized testing laboratory, they will do that. Okay. And that's what they'll actually uh, put that on. Now, talking about the ranges a little bit uh, of the listed uh, SPDs, okay? Um, Type 1. The nominal discharge current rating of a Type 1 SPD is either 10,000 amps or 20,000 amps. Okay, so that's the the typical um, range that we get in um, when it comes to that. And there's some of them, like I said, the Type 1, there are some... Uh, that actually are socket installed. They install actually on the meter. Again, you're going to pay extra for that from utility. Again, remember, electricians, if you're making this uh, potential add-on, it, it's 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 a line side, so you're not killing the power. So it's a certain time when you could do these or not. And I would say it's usually during new construction or if there's a service change and you remember the rule in the code requires that any service upgrade or change is going to now implement this, uh, you'd have to make that decision then. Um, but there's other places to install it at the weatherhead or different other applications. or, or you know. But you just have to make sure power is dead. Otherwise, you go to the option of a Type 2. Okay? Now, a Type 2 has a nominal discharge current rating for the Type 2 of 3,000 amps, 5,000 amps, 10,000 amps, or 20,000 amps. Okay? That's the difference you, know, it, you have between a Type 1 and Type 2 as far as the discharge. Okay, of what you're dealing with, of how much of the nominal discharge current uh, rating. Okay, all right. So, what are some of the differences between type one and type two that you have to think about? Well, we look back at the standards. So, if we look at 1449, and you're dealing with a type two, which is again what we're probably going to see mainly uh, in in our installations because it is on the load side. Uh, the type two may require, in order to meet that standard may require an external overcurrent protection or it may include it within the actual SPD. Now, the ones that I see the most that electricians install uh, will install on a breaker that goes in the panel. So that is your external overcurrent protection. Uh, but they do make some that will have external, okay, that, that means, excuse me, internal SPD or it's incorporated into it. In other words, it may be even mount on the circuit board uh, I keep saying circuit board. It may amount on the panel board and have the uh, overcurrent protection integral with it. So it's all one componentry. And it gets evaluated to the to this, to the standard 1449 and somebody else looks at it and a third party will say that's the case. Um, with a type 1 SPDs, generally they'll include overcurrent protection within the SPD itself. Or it'll specify other means to satisfy the requirements of that standard. Okay? So... Type 1 SPDs and Type 2 SPDs, which are uh, required, either one, by this rule in 230.67, I believe it's 67, let me double check again, yes it is, um, are going to say, you know, do not require external overcome protective devices, um, okay, that, that do not require an external overcurrent protection device, eliminates the potential for installing an incorrectly rated or mismatched overcurrent protection device with the SPD, okay? So this really limits the mismatching that can take place for what type of overcurrent protective device with the SPD because either the manufacturer is going to tell you if it's external 
what the rating is, what you have to use, or it's internal and it's already taken care of. So with type 1, type 2, uh, it, it really removes the guessing game from it. All right. So that's some of the things to, to think about. Now, nominal discharge current, as we just talked about. Um, so the available nominal discharge current rating in a type 1 SPD are 10,000 amps or 20,000 amps. But again, the SPD type 2, they really have the, the, the ratings are 3,000 amp, 5,000 amp, 10,000 amp, or 20,000 amp. So that's the nominal discharge current rating that, that's there, okay? So inevitably, I'm going to get asked by somebody in a text or tweet or whatever it is, they're going to say, Paul, what is the UL nominal discharge current rating? Well, per UL, the nominal discharge current rating is defined as the peak value of 8 of a microsecond surge current conducted through an SPD. The SPD must still function after 15 applied surges. It still has to function, all right? Now, the highest nominal current uh, discharge current rating by UL is 20,000 amps. It's the highest, okay? So, an SPD that used at the service entrance, uh, UL96A Lightning Protection Systems, must be UL listed and have a nominal discharge current rating of 20,000 amps, okay? So, you get them in different levels uh, for that rating, but... That is what the UL nominal discharge current rating is and what the highest nominal rating is for uh, the SPD when it comes to the UL value, okay? So, um, again, kind of pulling back in some of the, some of the differences uh, in the two. Uh, but that's kind of your nominal discharge and 20,000 being the benchmark for the UL standard, okay? But remember, that's lightning, so you do get many other types of SPDs, and depending on your application, which should you choose? What ratings should you choose? Uh, typically, when we're talking about uh, what we have offered today, if you're doing service entrance, type 1, if you get type 1, uh, you want to look for a surge current rating greater than 200,000 amps. Uh, if you're looking for a secondary distribution type 1 or type 2 SPD, uh, then you're looking for a rating that's greater than 80,000, okay? And then for brand circuit or point of use, a good rule of thumb is to look for those that have a rating that's greater than 60,000. Um, again, that's just my recommendations. That's just me talking. Uh, that kind of corresponds with some of the uh, information that's out there by ABB and Thomas and Betts and, and some of the recommendations that they make. Um, so, you know, take it for what it is. Uh, but when you're in the market and you're searching for some of those type of things, this is some of the things to think about. Uh, lastly, you know, capacitors. Uh, capacitors utilized in a Type 1 SPD, um, they're looked at a little differently when it comes to uh, safety than a Type 2. Um, for example, all the capacitors that are in a Type 1 SPD are a, evaluated to a standard called UL810, and that's the standard for capacitors. Now, this includes filtering capacitors that are referenced in UL1283, which is the standard for electromagnetic interference filters, uh, which are commonly seen in a Type 1. Uh, but capacitors in a Type 2 are actually evaluated to UL1414, and those are standards for capacitors and suppressors for radio and television type appliances. And they also, depending on the manufacturer, could evaluate them as well to 1283, which is a standard for electromagnetic interference filters. Okay, So again, the capacitors, depending on the type you use, might get, get the job done, but they might be evaluated a little differently. Okay, That's kind of the thing to, to look at. Uh, talking a little bit more about the type three, which is the ones that you might have out of your what we call point of point of utilization or point of use type of SPDs. Uh, again, different than your strips, okay? Um, just your regular old relocatable power taps. Uh, you're looking for the ones that actually are surge protected devices. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a use for a relocatable power tap. Obviously, there is. But let it be downstream of a surge protected device, then you're going to have that extra level of protection. All you really needed was additional plugs, and that's why you'd buy that strip. But if you're buying it to go for computers and things like that, then think about your scheme of protection, okay? Think about that scheme of protection because, again, they're not going to offer you anything than 
other than just a, another convenience receptacle. That's about it. Um, and that might be all you need. That might be all you want. Uh, but just kind of think about it. Now, these Type 3s uh, listed SPDs, uh, they're installed at a minimum conductor length of 30 feet from the electrical service panel. Again, unless they're evaluated as Type 2, um, again, um, then there's a difference. Okay, you're you're trying to keep the distance that these are from the panel uh, with these typically. Now, when I say that, I'm telling you a minimum conductor length. So when I say distance, I mean it conversely to the way that sounds. <laughs> Means that the the wire itself and the resistance that's in the wire can be your friend. So. Typically, we like to see the Type 3s installed at a minimum conductor length of 30 feet from an electrical service panel, okay? Uh, unless they're actually evaluated as a Type 2, which then they could be closer than 30 feet. Um, but if they're not, they're just Type 3, then you that extra distance is going to help you. So this is why it's important to, and I'm just making recommendations, is that if you're using this Type 3 and you're going to be less than 30 feet from an electrical panel and you see the importance of needing this Type 3 for your components, uh, TVs and things like that, then maybe you invest in a Type 2 that goes actually at the panel, okay? And then it doesn't matter. You can be, these SPDs can be, you know, within 10 feet or 20 feet or whatever of the panel and you still be okay with this Type 3. Uh, but typically you want to be at least 30 feet away if this is your only line of defense and it's not hard to do in a panel where you got your branch circuits just running all over. It's probably going to be well more than 30 feet away. But nevertheless, that wire distance and the dissipation um, that's evolved with it by that extra length of wire can be your friend, Okay. Now these typically type threes, uh, they have the minimum is three thousand amps, so it's three kA. That's the minimum. Okay. Now these are typically cord connected surge strips, uh, but I have seen them, and I've got one that's a direct plug in, goes right into the receptacle, has six receptacles on it, and that's what I put my strips and other things that I need to run other components. So I've got that type three downstream of my type two. Uh, and my downstream one is well more than 30 feet away. So I've got all that benefit there uh, involved in that, okay? And that's for my computers, my copiers, my modem, my ring base, and all that kind of that kind of good stuff that's involved in that, okay? Now, lastly, let's talk the, the, the infamous Joules rating. Uh, a lot of manufacturers will put these jewel ratings or whatnot on there, and I'm going to tell you right now, uh, ignore that. That is not supported uh, by any standards organization. They're not really recognized. It's great fodder to put on something. You're really looking at, like I said, you're looking and finding out what the surge current rating is, uh, 200,000. 80,000, 60,000, you're looking for those types of values. And believe it or not, and I, and I almost shudder to say this, uh, but um, when you look at it, a cost does dictate the, the, the better surge protective device. You're going to pay more for a really nice one that's going to have a great warranty and going to have a high level of surge current rating. Now, the other thing to think about is when I look at a warranty that comes with the different products, and some of them will offer $100,000, $50,000, and you think about it, I don't really have any components in here. Individually, it's going to cost near that. But collectively, I might. Um, and so any company that's willing to put that kind of warranty, and again, you got to read the fine print, it's always fine print, uh, would put their mark on that, then they're pretty confident at what they construct into this device. And it's just a, a latching system that's going to break it away so quickly that it doesn't cause uh, any problem uh, to to the appliances or vice versa when it comes to transients back in from anything. Um, let that be your guide. Believe it or not, that sounds pretty simple to state that. Uh, but it is true. And I think it's just important to, to let people know that that is uh, what you're looking for. You really don't pay so much attention to the jewels. That's just me. You can agree to disagree. Uh, but I would pay more attention, like I said, to 
the, the, the ratings when it comes to the surge current rating. That's what I'd spend most of my time focusing on. That's just me. Okay. All right. Um, what else do I want to add into this? I'm, I'm sure I've overwhelmed you with way more information than you want uh, to have on this subject. Um, and again, we also many times people refer to as what's the best course of action, Paul, uh, to protect myself. It's, it might be a little costly up front, but again, I'm going to protect myself. And that's what we call a cascading surge protection or a uh, diminishing risk type of uh, method. And that is where you have a type 2 or type 1 at your service. Uh, most applications an electrician is going to get into, I'm going to steer you towards a type 2, much easier to install. Um, and, you know, people say, well, type 1 is going to get it before it gets in. Absolutely. I mean, there's some credence to that. Uh, but again, if it's not a new installation, you don't have that option. You don't have the code allows either. So you go with the type 2. You install it. And as you move down to your sensitive equipment, into your branch stuff, then you're going to have something at the lower level application. Okay. So you're minimizing the potential ingress of a transient surge or a lightning strike into those sensitive equipment, okay? Um, you're not taking the risk, and they're not overly expensive. It's a one-time purchase. You use it, you buy it, you install it. It's peace of mind. It's peace of mind. Another thing to think about is as we're starting to get all of these AFCI devices and these very sensitive electronic components, and now we have a manufacturer who's producing a, a panel board that's a smart logic type panel board. There's a lot of internal circuitry. You even get the, the notion of a greater need for surge protection, whether it's in the type 1 or type 2 application. Um, so, you know... Uh, that's the, that's the kind of concept that we want to start thinking about when we have all this real sensitive, sensitive electronic equipment, okay, is protecting it. It's vital that it operate correctly, all right? All right? And I guess the last thing I'll say is that there are some manufacturers that will say that a Type 1 can be installed anywhere. There's actually literature or documentation out there that says that the Type 1s can be installed on the line side as well as the load side. Um, okay, theoretically, probably, but reality is that if you're like me, you have to follow the National Electrical Code, and the National Electrical Code kind of tells me where the Type 1 is to be, whether I agree with it or disagree with it or yada, 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 the inspector's going to look at this and go, well, it says a Type 1 is the permanently connected SPDs intended for installation between the secondary of a service transformer, gotcha. Uh, and the line side of a service disconnect overcurrent device. It, that's all it says. And then type 2 tells me that it can be on the load side of a service disconnect. Okay? And that's that's what I get uh, for that application. All right? So, it's the changes that took place in 230.67 that's allowing me to say, well, it's still on the load side and we'll even allow you to do it all the way down to the first next level distribution. Uh, it's giving you that allowance. But when you look at the definition, uh, it's specifically telling me where I can install this uh, type one and type two or where it's intended. Again, but some manufacturers will tell you that you know a type one can be installed anywhere on the electrical system. Uh, I would verify that with your manufacturer. I'm going to venture beyond the code. I know the intent of what they do. I know their concept of what they're going to do. Uh, if it's designed and evaluated to make it application anywhere for type 1, okay, fine. But I would uh, you know, verify with the manufacturer of the SPD that you're purchasing about clarity in the location on where you're going to install it and, uh, and, and, kind, of, and kind of move from there. Uh, I tend to follow the notion of type 1 is like a surge arrestor. I'm having that on the line side. Type 2, the code allows me for services. I'm going to have that on the load side, preferably at the panel uh, or immediately adjacent uh, is where I'm typically going to do it. Uh, and then as closest to the potential source uh, that I can. And then, of course, I'm going to do type 3s locally at certain areas of sensitive electronic equipment uh, just as a next level. Uh, and there's some great ones out there. There's some really expensive ones. And if you look at their warranties, they're really good. And there's a reason the warranties are really good. They work. 
they get evaluated. This is some of these companies, that's all they do. Uh, I think there's one called Panamax, and they specialize in that type of thing. Um, And so, anyway, pick it, choose it, know what the code is. We we just, again, we we, we know that 230.67. And and also, throughout the NEC, you're seeing surge protected devices now going to be required in a lot of areas. And we're not going to cover all of the areas that SBDs are now required in the National Electrical Code. We'll do that in future episodes. I really wanted to focus on this one. Um, So again, you're dealing with a dwelling application for dwelling units. You're now going to be required to have search protection devices on there as a requirement. Even if you do a, a upgrade or a replace a service, it's going to be retroactive. means you're going to have to bring it up to code and add one of these SPDs. They're not hard to add. They're surface mount. They make them recessed. Uh, there's some panels that are designed for them to go into the panel. Uh, all those type of things are all available, so it shouldn't be too much heartburn. Uh, but they are available for you out there. So hopefully you got something. Hopefully we discussed a little bit about SPDs and different types. I should also say that there's some uh, MOVs, metal oxide resistors type of componentry that is also a cla- uh, type four. Um, and I put them in a type five is because there is theoretically five categories. Some will argue and disagree, but you know, it is what it is. Go look it up yourself. Um, if you have any other questions on SPDs or the applications or, or any questions of how they work, um, feel free to email me at info, I-N-F-O, at masterthenec.com. Uh, or you can go to our website, masterthenec.com or electricalcodeacademy.com, and you can go to the Contact Us button, click on it, type your information in there, and it'll come to me or somebody here at the company, and we will get you an answer. Again, uh, also remember that if you're preparing for an exam, we have an extensive online course called Fast Tracks that's available to purchase. You do it at your own pace. you got access for 12 months. Uh, if you just want the collection of 800 questions that be on exams, uh, then we have that program as well. You can just get the questions and, and, and work them at your own pace. Uh, you have access to that for a year as well. Um, and preparing for an exam. Uh, we have all that available on our website, masternec.com. Uh, we also have a new article coming out about code changes. It's coming out every month where we systematically talk about significant changes each month. You can keep them together in a little booklet or packet. So you can do an annual subscription or you can do it a per episode subscription, whatever you want. I guess that's not a subscription. You just you buy them as each episode comes out. Um, all available on our website. Um, we also like to thank everybody that donates to, to us. At the bottom of our webpage, we have a donate button where people have, you know, some people have donated money to help defer the cost of these free podcasts and free um, videos and things that we do. We appreciate you. I appreciate the thousands and thousands and thousands of emails I get. Sometimes I'm sitting there during the day and they'll just come in one after another. Text messages on LinkedIn and YouTube and, and everywhere uh, thanking us for the stuff that we do. Hey, we appreciate you equally and uh, we value you and we hopefully we help teach you something. Uh, I'm not the best. I'm not the worst. But, uh, you know, I have an effort to try to teach you something, and that's the goal here. So until next time, folks, keep it safe uh, and take care and God bless. Every day the future's getting closer. Every day the future's looking bright. Every day is another beginning.